Hey, cashiers. We Have the Receipts podcast is coming at you live from Netflix is a Joke Fest in Los Angeles. Chris, are you kidding? No, Netflix is a joke, Courtney, but this is not one of them. Our listeners in LA have the chance to join us for a live recording of our podcast, We Have the Receipts, hosted by me, Chris Burns. And me, Courtney Revolution. Join us and a few surprise guests from your favorite Netflix reality shows on Saturday, May 4th at 1 p.m. at a secret location in Hollywood. To be announced. Get your tickets for the We Have the Receipts live show at todoom.com slash W-H-T-R. That's todoom, T-U-D-U-M dot com slash W-H-T-R. Tickets are limited. If you can't make it to the show, we still want to hear your beautiful voice. Leave us a message at speakpipe.com slash We Have the Receipts. You may even hear your own voice on the show. Grab a ticket at todoom.com slash W-H-T-R. And we'll see you on May 4th in Los Angeles. Bye, cashiers. Welcome to You Can't Make This Up, a companion podcast from Netflix. I'm Colin Fleming, and I'm back to host this week's episode. Every other week on You Can't Make This Up, we bring in a new interviewer to talk about a different Netflix series or film with special guests. And all the stories are surprisingly true. This week, we're talking about the Emmy-nominated show Last Chance You. Last Chance You takes a deeper dive into the world of junior college football, where many of the players featured battled not to squander their last chance. The pressure is on to make it to Division I ranks and keep their NFL dreams alive. For the third season, Last Chance U heads to a new town, a new school, and has a new coach. It's set in a place you've probably never heard of, Independence Community College in Independence, Kansas. This week, sports reporter Rembert Brown interviews Last Chance U director Greg Whiteley and coach Jason Brown from the show. If you haven't watched Last Chance U yet, we recommend watching the series before listening to this episode. There are spoilers ahead. And now, let's hear Rembert Brown in conversation with director Greg Whiteley and coach Jason Brown. I'm Rembert Brown, and I'm sitting here uh, across the table from director of Last Chance U, Greg Whiteley, and the coach himself, Jason Brown. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I guess for uh, I'm going to start with you, Greg. So after two successful seasons doing the show at East Mississippi, why, you know, when you have a good thing going, did you feel like you had kind of told your story there and you wanted to move on to another school? Well, I think we always assumed that we would be moving from school to school. Okay. Um, if we were lucky enough to have a series that had multiple seasons, I think – to be honest with you, I'm not sure any of us had thought it all the way through where we were talking it through with each other. But in my mind, I felt like, yeah, we'll go to this school. And uh, the the junior college football landscape is big. Yeah, There's a lot of real estate out there. And um, we'd be foolish to just confine ourselves to one school. The way that our first season ended at East Mississippi, it felt like to me that there was um, still some story left to be told. And as we concluded season two, I think that place is such a rich environment. I think we could have gone back and it would have been a very interesting season three. But internally, as a team, we had felt like we had scratched that itch. As we did it between years two and three, we met Jason Brown. And after meeting Jason Brown, we thought we really should go here. Uh, he, we, we've always looked at there's all kinds of different things that go into a school being a good place to film as far as Last Chance U is concerned. But the most important ingredient is 
how much access is the coach willing to give you, not just to the team and to the players, but to himself. And, and that even goes to when that individual is on camera, how authentic are they? How vulnerable are they willing to be? How candid are they willing to be? And um, I just feel like from the moment we met Jason first over the phone and then when we met him in person, he's just off the charts. What you see is what you get. Yeah. You know, for you, Coach, like I, I, read, I read an interview that you did, Greg, and I laughed because you described this phone call. Um, you described it as an all-timer. And you said you, you described Coach as like 100% hustler. And you were like, it seemed like a no-brainer after this call. For you, Coach, was it a no-brainer for you after the call? Yeah, it wasn't after the call. It was when we met him, uh, okay. met Greg and his crew. Uh, they came down for our spring football game in May okay. of the first year, uh, our first year. And, um, yeah, it was a no-brainer. I thought everybody was genuine and uh, down-to-earth, and they weren't pushy or anything. And uh -huh. I felt that, you know, they were professional uh, to a T uh, and – you know, we thought it was it was fine with us, and and you no, know, I wasn't. I was hesitant to call back after they called me. Uh, a lady named Chelsea called and left a message, and we were in a staff meeting, probably uh, mid February or something. Uh -huh. And um, I went back in my room and told the coaches, and they all looked at me. I said, "I'm not uh, having cameras on me." Yeah. And they all looked. Nobody said anything. And then my D coordinator came to me later. I was like, "Man, you sure you want to call him back?" <laughs> so I think a day later or something, we called back and. Were you were you a little nervous about, you know, because you were in the process of building a program, were you worried that having cameras was going to impede or in some way hurt your team actually doing better? Did you, did you think it was going to have a negative impact on them at all? No, I didn't think negative. Um, I just thought what happened in game one, I thought would that's the worst case scenario. And I, yeah. I, I kind of pictured that in in the situation, like. I think this could be bigger than our program because this was a place that had 21-game losing streak at one point. No culture had been set, uh, bad academics, uh, kids acting badly, yeah. just, a, just a place that needed to be totally revamped. And so, you know, that first game last year, we, we kind of had an eye-opening experience. I think just the lights, camera, action was bigger than our program. Yeah. And it wasn't, so to speak, the cameras being the problem. It was just... The entire deal uh, in totality was just too big for us at the time. It was a lot. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. it's a lot for anyone. I think um, our kids thought we were, the other team was supposed to lay down for us because we had cameras there. It's like, don't embarrass us. We're on TV. Yeah, so. <laughs> don't mess up our show. Well, can I chime in on that too? What a lot of people – and one of the reasons why we wanted to go to Independence because when we came to East Mississippi, they were a program that had everything buttoned down. They had – all systems go. It was still a junior college, so you still have limited resources. But for instance, when they go on a road trip, Coach Buddy Stevens doesn't have to think one second about, well, where is the team staying? Yeah. Where is the team going to eat their pregame meal? He doesn't think one second about, well, have the new uniforms arrived yet? Because they've had six years to work out all those kinks. Mm -hmm. He has different assistant coaches that have themselves been doing that for a couple of years. They know all of that stuff. Yeah. As soon as they say, hey, we've added this game to the schedule, there's a team of people that immediately get to work to put together everything from their travel itinerary to what they're going to eat to their football schedule. And Coach Buddy Stevens can focus on coaching football and being the administrator of a program. It's a privilege in some sense. Yeah. <laughs> coach like, just, Brown yeah. was calling – 
hotel rooms. Yeah. The night before the game, he was calling Adidas, trying to figure out where the new uniforms were. Coach Brown was calling to order pizza for different pregame meals. And these are things that if we were to come back to independence six or seven years from now, I, a lot of these things would be worked out. But when you're building a program as Jason is and, and was from scratch, you you could see why the first game would have some hiccups. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, Coach, for you, before um, for some background, I do find it interesting and cool just like given your football background, playing at pretty much every single level, at what point did you feel like your impact would be best felt as a coach in the junior college world? I tell everybody, I think uh, – Coach in junior college, I have a greater impact than any level on these kids, uh, than any four-year school can have. Nick Saban, Pete Carroll, you name it. I think uh, they get to establish a program four to five years They have those kids. You can have an alma mater, a fight song, all that type of stuff. Um, we don't have a fight song. We don't have an alma mater. We don't do those things just because we're here 18 months. And so I have to touch these kids in an accelerated rate. And uh, I got an expedite a a kid's learning curve, um, which, you know, they're going to have a lot more resources at the four-year level compared to what I have. So I have to do – I got to be that much more um, of an asshole, basically. Uh, <laughs> so it's harder on the kid when he gets to uh, – at my place than it is when at the four-year. Yeah. And so we do the 5 a.m., we do the 11.30 curfew, and we do – we're basically uh, babysitting these guys uh, 24-7. Uh, junior college, you, the more you keep them busy, the less uh, foolishness that ha- can happen. Yeah, so. I mean, I, it was it was you know different sport. It was it reminded me of something from my background. I grew up like in the inner city playing like tennis at this little you know all black tennis camp. Just kids from the neighborhood, and we all were always very like confused why our coach was like you know so hard on us. And as I got older, I realized you know tennis was just kind of a way of getting people, like, out of trouble. We didn't really know at the time. He was just trying to get us scholarships to go to college. He was like, this is going to be the best way, you know, like, you learn, like, there are life lessons to learn from sports, but there's also, like, I have a greater plan, and the plan is, like, I'm actually trying to, like, mold kids into, like, you know, men and women. And I, like, watching your story and, you know, kind of seeing – what was behind everything? It reminded mm. me of that. Just that, like, like it's it's bigger than football. Oh yeah, that I have to assume that's true. No question. It's a. Uh, I sleep at night because of uh, how many kids I graduate and don't go to jail. Um, not because how many wins I have. So yeah. that's just that's just me. Junior college is uh, not for winning and losing football games, in my opinion. Some places they believe otherwise. Um, my 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 uh, my. Belief is that I can graduate more players than any school in America, which I do. You know, I'm I'm most uh, prideful about not getting a kid get kicked out of a four-year school that's left my program. So yeah. I've, I've sent 190 on, never had a kid get kicked out of a four-year school. And so that's kind of why I'm uh, who I am and how I am. It's awesome. Um, I wanted to play a clip. There was a... Uh a pregame speech you were talking about the fact that the cameras were there. You better have my fucking passion to beat the fuck out of these dudes. I choked the fuck out of the dude because when I left there for a fucking reason. 
I guarantee that motherfucker don't want to see me at the fucking 50 either. But are you motherfuckers going to step up and fucking rise to the challenge and beat the fuck out of the defending champ at our place so we can fucking win nine in a row and win this motherfucker on Netflix? Straight up. Who said that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like amped up right now. Like I want to go tackle somebody. Um, Is that so, on the show? I haven't saw that far. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> no. that's like the perfect response because I was going to be like, how much have you seen? Uh, I've seen about, I think, probably a solid three. Have you, has, have there been like cringeworthy moments? Are you, I mean, are, are there, is it? No, uh, I mean, I kind of know who I am. I just, you know, watching yourself, I guess, changes, looks at your, you kind of makes you look at yourself a little bit. Yeah. And say, oh, shoot, you know. Um, but uh, no, I mean, I accepted the, the camera and, you know, that's just how I've been in life. If, yeah. I, accept some, if I accept something, I'm all in and I'm not going to. Be a hypocrite and back out of it or renege, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I play spades, so. Same. But, you know, uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of one of those deals. So I was all in, and, and uh, I'm all in, and, and uh, you know, I think uh, the crew and Greg and the crews was great. And so, you know, it's just uh, just a matter of, uh, you know, I guess me being me. I don't know. I, I, I wasn't trying to do nothing that I'm not. Yeah. Um, for you, Greg, like being on the other side being in the room when a speech like that happens, like what what is that like for you? Are you like, yes, we picked the right school? Like like uh-huh. well like what was it like what what was it like to be around Coach Brown in these kind of fiery situations? Well, at, at that time, that's the third game, and Coach Brown is about to face the coach that he used to work for two seasons earlier yeah. and had left to go start this program. And the two of them, there, there was some bad blood between the two of them. Uh, and so at that point, at the third game of the season, we, have, we had already well acclimated ourselves to Coach Brown. So none of that energy was surprising to us. Yeah. But I could feel, even now, as I was hearing that, I, I, I remember having the, my hair stand on the back of my neck, and I felt like you could feel the energy of the team start to rally around this coach, and up until that time, it had been uh, kind of a rough year. The season mm-hmm. could really go one of two directions. From our standpoint, a dramatic standpoint, the season can go any number of ways, and it's still going to be interesting. It's still going to, from week to week, it's still going to have stakes. Uh, what also happens is you start to develop such a large degree of empathy for the people that you're feeling that you just want it for them. And we so badly during that game we're having to temper our feelings because we love these kids, uh, we love their coach, and we want to see them do well. And they're about to go face a team that hadn't lost for a year and a half. They had a win streak of, I don't know, coach 15 in a row, 16 in a row. It was the longest win streak in the nation. They're the defending national champs. And they're coming off a loss in which they had lost 70 to 21, Coach Brown's team. And so how do you motivate these players how do you get their attention and uh um i don't know i i i loved i loved watching him work that day yeah um one uh one thing that you just brought up that i i do think is really interesting is week week by week happened and it was like like you were saying it was unclear kind of what direction success wise the team was going to go were you thinking about episode structure and 
um, and like which players to focus on and stuff like that. Was that happening like in real time and changing as time went on, or was that something that you kind of did once the whole season had finished? Then you started to figure that out. Like, oh no, it's it's more the former. Remember, Uh we're we're from uh, the moment even now coming in here at the opportunity that we may have a prospective season four and that we might be at independence, the whole walk over here, I'm asking Jason, okay, so tell me about who, who your recruits. In junior college, you know, Division One school, you pr- pretty much know your roster. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but in Jason's case, in the junior college, he's now going to be getting a significant portion of his roster in the next few weeks. Yeah. So I'm just, okay, who, who do you like? Tell me about these players. I've heard you got this drop down from such and such. Tell me about him. What's he like? And and so when we get there, we've got a list of 20-some-odd players. From that list, we're going to whittle it down to 10 that we think, okay, we've got to follow these guys. And it's a combination of, okay, well, how, how good are they? That's important. But even more important, how open are they? How, how willing are they to be on camera? We don't make anybody go on camera. Yeah. We're not, there are some people that are shy, and, and we want to respect that. And then what is their backstory like? Is their backstory interesting? Are they, are they open to telling that backstory? And as a result of that, you're constantly shaping and reshaping the episode. I am writing out outlines, and there are story producers and field producers in real time as we're filming are going, hey, hey, I think this is going right here. This is how episode one should begin. And then when we turn it over to the editorial team, you almost start all over again. Okay. That's just a jumping off point, and then you just really start to mold it and change it according to what works and what and what you're learning later. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's – for us – it's a tricky balance between staying absolutely agnostic in terms of how you want the season to go. You're just trying to stay on your toes. Whatever Jason and the team gives you, you're just going to take it and you're going to make lemonade with it. Yeah. There, and, there's, and if you trust that process, there's always going to be a great story there. One of the really interesting characters for me for the show was the English professor, Miss Pinkard. Mm-hmm. Um, Latanya Pinker, um, well, like, was that just like from the jump a clear person that was going to be part of the show, Greg? And like, we're, I mean, you couldn't have hoped to have anyone better. I mean, like, she was incredible. Yeah. Um, we didn't know anything about her. I told you a little bit about the process as we whittle it down and we're trying to find who our main players are going to be. Part of that process is just interviewing and meeting a number of players and then just asking them questions to just get to know them. And, and one of those questions was, who's your favorite teacher? And Miss Pinkert's name kept coming up. Mm-hmm. I'd say probably 80% of all the players that we talked to, she was their favorite teacher. Of the 20% that didn't list her, just had not had her yet. So I thought, well, we got to meet this woman. Yeah. And so first day of class, we, we follow these players that we know have her for English. And, of course, you meet her and you fall in love with her. Yeah. Uh, she's fantastic. There is a temptation when you're involved in academics – to focus on a player's eligibility. And that, of course, means getting them to class and getting good grades. Miss Pinkert is interested in that, but she is interested in a much deeper way in challenging these young men and challenging them to grow intellectually. So, hey, it's great that you're showing up here and it's great that you're taking – this exam, and it looks like you're going to pass it. Good for you. But I want to challenge you on some things that you're saying to me in class. I want to press you on this. I want to challenge you intellectually. I want to see you grow. She would organize a book club. 
None of the kids would receive credit, and yet they would faithfully show up every week to this yeah. book club in which she tried to pick a book that would be relevant to these kids' lives, and then she would try and bring up things from the book that she thought would also be relevant to their lives and challenge them in a way intellectually. None of that was serving them to be eligible to play football on the weekends, but she felt like this was going to, this was going to give them some set of tools that will serve them for the rest of their life. And uh, who wouldn't find that admirable? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, so many times in fictional stories, the coach and the teacher are, are like, they butt heads adversarially. They like stand for two sets of ideals and like they hate each other, blah, blah, blah. Like hearing you talk about what you really care about in terms of these men and hearing what she cares about in terms of preparing them for the future, it seems like y'all stand for the same thing. Like y'all, y'all just want them prepared for life. Coach, what what has been your um, relationship with, in terms of dealing with the academic side of these kids' lives, knowing that that clearly is something that you need, like they need to care about? What's that been like for you at um, at this school? Um, it's kind of the same challenges wherever you know I've been to, you know, eight schools or whatever as a coach. I mean, it's it's pretty much the same same issues that mm-hmm. you face. Um, Getting to go to class, sitting in the front row, don't wear hats and visors, no wear earphones. That's our policy uh, that I've taken um, just so that the teachers know that the kids are there for business and not messing around, texting on their phone and screwing around. So, you know, I, you know, my thing is make the teachers work and go see them in their off hours, go see them in their office hours, go see them in those times. So it's harder for a teacher to bubble in a grade of an F when you have a relationship with that person. And uh, they know that you're, you care. We're a commuter college and our, our sole mission should be to get these kids moved on and matriculated through the process. And uh, sometimes I think uh, teachers think that, you know, junior college is Harvard and it's not. Yeah. Um, these kids don't have any clue how to take notes. They don't know how to read and write, most of them. So we got to teach them. So that's basically... Uh, you know, my stance on it. Um, teachers need to teach. <laughs> teachers need to teach and, and you know, coaches te- teach too. That's our job. We're teachers first. And so, you know, if I can get the kids to do the little part, um, I think they can They can all earn a C uh, minimal mm-hmm. uh, just by doing those things, attending every day, doing their homework, sitting in the front, um, and then, you know, pass a test here and there, you can get a B. So people don't know, junior college athletes now have to have a 2.5 GPA. Okay. Um, used to be a 2.0. So now for them to transfer from my place to an Alabama, to a Georgia, to wherever, they need a 2.5. The general populated student needs a 2.0. So it's harder on our guys than it is general population um, student. So bottom line is they, you know, we got to get them through the process, and it's all hands on deck, and I've been doing it a long time. So I don't have an academic advisor, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I, I'm basically it, and uh, my staff is it. So we walk them to class. We make sure we uh, – we pick them up from class. We take them to the next class. That's yeah. what it is. It's babysitting one on one. I did want to play one more clip between uh, Miss Pinkard. Miss Pinkard, even if I stay, mm-hmm. we get on kickoff on special teams mm-hmm. and get hurt, and I ain't gonna break my leg just to be a fucking crash dummy. Mr. Bruce, you're more than football. I want you to stay, and whatever way I can help you, let me help you. I'm here. Okay. Okay. Don't leave. So much of the scenes that are in the film, you know, like are involving 
you, but like there are ways that some of your own players might open up differently to her than they might um, to you, you know, just like hearing a clip like that or, you know, eventually watching it. Like, what does that mean to you? So those kids, especially that one. Um, That's uh, uh, Bobby Bruce, Bobby linebacker. Bruce. linebacker. Yep. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, see, the conversation you just heard is something that, you know, he's not, he's not going to get from me. He's yeah. going to get tough love from me um, because I know his background, which is a bad one. Uh, brother's killed, mom's a crackhead in jail. Uh, he's got a bad, bad home life. So his coach back home knows that. And so he bought him ticket after ticket to keep him uh, really short-lived when he went home, and then he's right back to Kansas. But, you know, he's uh, – I tell my players, life's about choices, and, um, you know, Miss Pinker was trying to tell him it's about more about football, but but in sad reality it's, it's not in his case because he doesn't have anything but football to get him a, a diploma. Football's going to get his diploma. Yeah. I don't think she understood that. So, you know, I tell these kids every day, let football pay for your education. And so that's what kind of is going to keep that kid alive probably. But, uh, you know, it's nothing that surprised me because I kind of know the kids going in. But I do uh, I do know they're going to go and talk to other people about certain things. Yeah. But, yeah, he's got a bad, horrible home life. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of those kids I've had. He's not the worst I've had or far from it. But, uh, you know, we try to save at least one of them. Hopefully we can. Um, but – Unfortunately, you can't save them all, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was wondering if there are any, um, either like health-wise or in terms of um, going off to other um, colleges, if there were any updates on any of the players that were um, featured. Um, no, Malik Henry's uh, still looking for a college. That's our quarterback. Yeah, He's graduated, though. Okay. Um, he's got the GPA. He's ready to sign as soon as somebody wants to sign him. He's got a lot of interest. It's just a matter of them doing their research and looking into if they really have a scholarship available since it is late in the game. Yeah. Um, Talk about his talent level. I know you've described him as conceivably the most talented quarterback in the country in your estimation, right? Yeah. You're somebody that knows quarterbacks. How would you explain why do you think he's had trouble Getting on a team, um, you know he's got he's 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 been uh, been at four different schools in high school, four high schools in four years. Yeah, goes to Florida State. People don't know about Malik though. What they don't realize is when he got to Florida State as an early graduate. So he got to Florida State in January, when most people won't get there until July or June. Um, he was an early grad out of high school. He was seventeen. Yeah. Malik Henry's nineteen right now. <laughs> So he, he understand a lot of 17-year-olds go there as the number one player in the country, quarterback, and go to Florida State. And then, uh, you know, who's been in those shoes? Who can really judge the cat? Who who knows what he went through and how he's going to act? Then I get him from, in, from when he got there in January until he left my place. He has come full circle. He has become 100% better, which mm-hmm. is going to shock some people when I say that because of how he looks at times. But uh, – you know, his deal is all, can they trust him? And that's what's going to come down to, like Greg asked. It's going to come down to who, uh, can they trust him? And is does his uh, reward outweigh the risk of taking a kid like him? Yeah. And uh, one thing that you you forget about, you know, athletes and coaches is, you know, uprooting your life and going to another city. Like, how how is independence for you? <laughs> um, it's different. You know, it's slow, obviously. It's small. Um, you know, I can't eat after – eight o'clock at night. Um, 
those type of things kill me inside. You know, yeah. I like to go out later, but uh, plus we work all night, so yeah. it's like can't go after after eight o'clock to get nothing to eat in the town, uh, which is crazy. But you know, uh, the town people are great. They're small environment, small town. They've They've uh, they've adopted us pretty. People know well. who you but, are. Yeah, town. I think so. I, I, you know, a lot of people don't come up to me though. They like think I think they're scared of me or something. I don't know why. I wonder if that'll yeah. change or they'll uh, be doubly scared. <laughs> I don't know. Shoot, I don't know. Now I got a dog. He's a pit bull, and um, <laughs> you're just leaning into the scare. <laughs> well, this just isn't any pit bull. The pit bull makes a cameo in the last episode of the season. It's a puppy. Uh, but it's dad. You should have whoever's listening to this. They should Google Hulk Pitbull. <laughs> That's the daddy, oh the my. biological daddy of the dog that JB has. The dog is bigger than ninety percent of the humans I know. <laughs> right? I mean, it's massive. Nah, he's getting there. He's six months old now. He's about 87 pounds. Oh, my God. But his dad's 190 pounds, you know. Yeah, that's a— So I think if we were to ever go back to Independence, we might be filming Cujo, too. <laughs> like, it would just—I yeah. see this dog just terrorizing the town. Oh, my God. I've seen that dog. I've that, seen Hulk. That's, that's, that's six that. months old. That's him laying down last night. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> He's like cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a character. JB, where do you find the time to take care of a dog like that? He's an office dog. Oh, sure he is. Yes. So he's with me every is day. Your, is your office three stories tall? No. <laughs> he's with me every day, and uh, I don't know if this is legal, but this is what I bought. I had to buy him, so you know. Um, I'm so excited. That's what makes him legal for me. Oh, Yes. <laughs> I'm holding a, an emotional support dog identification card right now. <laughs> so, Greg, he'll look. Oh, so, yeah. man. That's how he's uh, loud in my office. And, <laughs> hey, he's my emotional support dog, man. I love Shoot. the photo, though, nothing. because it's taken, it's taken really far away, so it looks really tiny. And I guess, I guess my um, – I mean, you kind of alluded to it um, earlier, Greg, but uh, season four, are you are you in limbo now? Are you just waiting? Or do you want to do it at Independence again? Like how – you know, um, wh- where's your – what is your life right now when it comes to the future of Last Chance You? We're just now starting to dig into those questions. Yeah. So in, in a couple weeks, we're hoping that, that we have firm answers. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we love the series. My – Personally, I would love for the series to go on forever, and I think Independence is a, a, a great, great school to go to if we're lucky enough to have a fourth season, but none of that has been determined yet. Gotcha. Well, um, Greg Whiteley, Jason Brown, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, having us. Thank you for listening. Thank you. That was Rembert Brown talking about Last Chance U Season 3 with director Greg Whiteley and coach Jason Brown. And now, let's hear from you. It's time for a dramatic reading of your reactions on social media. From at NefeoCine1, Last Chance You Season 3 might just be the best season yet. At Brooke581 says, The world needs more Ms. Peas. I could listen to her wisdom for hours. At Lucy L says, Only watched three episodes of Last Chance You, and I've already learned four new ways to cuss. Tell us your thoughts on upcoming episodes. Find us on Twitter at Can't Make This Up, on Instagram at You Can't Make This Up, on Facebook at You Can't Make This Up Netflix, or just Google the dang show. You'll find us, I promise. 
there's one more thing before we go. You know the drill. It's what you're watching. It's the segment where the people who make these Netflix original series and films tell us what they are watching on Netflix. Here's Rembert Brown with Last Chance U director Greg Whiteley and coach Jason Brown. I mean, I'll start. I, uh, for better or for worse, am like built to accidentally join a cult uh, one day. <laughs> so um, I've been watching Wild Wild Country a little skeptically because it, it's a little bit too close to home. I think if I was around... Um, if I was a 20 year old 25 years ago, I would have like somehow taken a bus to Oregon. <laughs> so yeah, that's my answer. You would have fallen prey to the- who knows. I just like I don't I don't I don't trust 24 year old self to to not say no. If I had one other friend who was like, yeah, let's go to Oregon, I'd be like, I kind of like their outfits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fascinated to know what you watch on Netflix, Jason. I've never asked you this question. You know, I don't watch TV. I don't it's have time to time. watch do nothing. Uh, last chance, you baby. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> you don't even watch the episodes you're in. <laughs> I'm looking at my queue right now. I pulled it up on my phone. Um, I feel like I have the tastes of a middle-aged white woman. Uh, I love... Um, it's a lifetime. I love, <laughs> I love The Crown. <laughs> I, so I've never heard any of these things you oh, guys have said. You're not going to like The Crown, don't. but it's great. Uh, Black Mirror. You would like Black Mirror a lot. Really? You should watch Black Mirror. Uh, what are these, series? Yeah, this is a series. Oh, see, I, don't even I bet you would like Evil Genius. Yeah, it's like, you would. Uh, yeah, I, I it's, watched it's Evil Genius. You would. You would like that. Really? Yeah, it's basically your home life. Really? Yeah, <laughs> you should watch it. Just sitting there with nothing. <laughs> they made another documentary. They did. Without us even knowing. Drinking it's liquor. Yeah. It's it's describing several of the women you've dated. Oh well, shit. That's all for this week's episode of You Can't Make This Up. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about a new Netflix original film, The Bleeding Edge. Until then, you can find other episodes if you can't make this up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this show. It helps other people find it and makes my mom really proud. You Can't Make This Up is a production of Pineapple Street Media and Netflix. Our music is by Hans Dale Sue. I'm Colin Fleming. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>